Hello everyone, how you doing? Cornelius Colcrey here, thank you for tuning in to the Gypsy Jazz Hangouts podcast, this is episode 12. So, Covid, quarantine, lockdown, that was all pretty naff wasn't it? Well, it's been naff for everyone, it's been particularly naff for the musicians. Musicians haven't been able to gig, they haven't been able to teach, haven't been able to record, they've pretty much not been able to work pretty much for a whole year. And as we're moving into 2021, I thought it'd be a good idea to ask uh, Musicians Union official Keith Ames what his thoughts were on the challenges that are facing musicians in the kind of post-Covid, post-Brexit world. Keith was a really cool guy, fantastic to talk to, a really funny bloke, and a lot of really insightful, interesting things to say about the kind of musical sort of working landscape that working musicians are finding themselves in uh, now and in the uh, sort of up-and-coming years. And we were also joined by my good friend Andrea Vigani, uh, London-based gypsy guitar player of Swing Train 42 fame. If you like these podcasts, uh, go find us on Facebook, give the page a like. We've got a YouTube channel where you can watch these if you, if you want to watch them. Uh, give the videos a like, subscribe to the channel. Uh, as soon as the lockdown finishes, which is hopefully going to be very soon, um, we're going to hopefully do more of the kind of proper format of these podcasts with like actual live performances rather than actual you know, human IRL interaction rather than just you know Zoom calls. Um, so that's something we can all look forward to but until then uh, please enjoy episode 12 of the gypsy jazz hangouts podcast cheers guys thanks for tuning in everybody to the latest episode of the gypsy jazz hangouts podcast i've got two fine gentlemen with me to my left i think on the computer screen my old partner in crime andrea vagani how you doing andrea all good all good yes still here trying to survive the lockdown good man good man and then below me we have Mr. Keith Ames. Is it Ames? Ames? How's it pronounced? Yeah, it's Ames like uh, James, but without the J. Ames, but without the J, my favourite kind of James. So, Keith works with the Musicians' Union, something that I imagine many of you will be signed up to. And we, you know, thank, first of all, thanks for coming on. It's great to have you. And we just really want to talk to you as a couple of deadbeat musicians struggling through lockdown, struggling through all this, uh, to see what your perspective on where and how working musicians are going to deal with the new challenges facing them with the, the kind of double challenge really of coronavirus lockdowns and yeah. also Brexit because that's obviously having a massive effect on okay. musicians' livelihood. But before we do, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your role with the Musicians' Union and things like that. Oh, well, thank you for this opportunity. It's a pleasure. Um, and hello to everybody out there. Um, that means three deadbeat musicians on this call. <laughs> <laughs> but not really. Are. Um Firstly, I'm Keith Ames, PR and marketing official at the Musicians' Union. I'm also editor of the Musician magazine, um, which has been going for about 70 years, and I've uh, been editing that for the last 16. Um, I've worked for the union for about 21 years. I think I'm in my 22nd year. Um, And uh, it's a very rewarding place to work. You're helping musicians hopefully have the career they want and uh, fighting for their rights and interests. The MU itself was established in 1893, It's got around 31,000 members at the moment, of which about 85% are freelance self-employed. The uh, 15 or so percentage who are employed, uh, orchestras, West End, BBC, etc. And uh, we obviously uh, negotiate in terms of conditions of those employed musicians in a traditional trade union way uh, with the management of, say, an orchestra. However, um, the freelancers, which is the more typical kind of example, um, and they may be playing live, <laughs> they may be playing live, they may be working theatres, um, concerts, festivals, touring, all, uh, you know, launches, exhibitions, weddings, pubs, clubs, all the typical places you'd find a musician in a live context. But we're also helping um, those in recording and broadcasting, those in orchestras I've just mentioned, Uh, and teachers, also in education. So all these areas where um, people are working, now of course from an MU perspective, we're often helping people in two ways. One, as individuals who might come along and say, look, I've got a problem, you know, didn't get paid for a gig, or I've been offered a contract, I don't know if it's any good, can you help me check it out? You know, that kind of thing. Then there's the second part, which is lobbying on behalf of all musicians, and uh, say going to government and saying, look, things are crap, what are you going to do to try and help? Or there's an issue with copyright or an issue with gigging or, you know, et cetera, which of course has become particularly important uh, in the last year. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, Andre, let me ask you something. So before 
uh, COVID, before the lockdown, Andre, you were probably the busiest gypsy jazz guitar player in London. I mean, well, probably the busiest in the country, to be honest. And obviously with the lockdown, your gigs went pretty much to zero. Yeah, um, yeah, true. true. You, you were gigging loads, you were teaching loads. What's your kind of plan for the future? Like, are you still going to be investing as much time in gigs? Is it worth it? Is it going to pay less? You're not going to get enough? Is, will teaching be able to compensate for that? I mean, how's it going to look, do you think? Well, it's a very good question. Yes, before lockdown, um, I was super busy on the London scene. And with Swing Train 42, we were playing, I don't know, as a gypsy jazz band, playing three times a week, plus function regularly. It's, it's quite a lot because we weren't, I wasn't compromising on the kind of music that I really want to play. So we're just offering one genre. And yes, we, we were very, very busy. We had, um, how many? Quite a few residencies. So it was, it was gigs that kept on going throughout many different Yeah, cities. you were very busy with the residencies, definitely. Yeah, that was, that was, my, that was my thing. Um, as a freelancer, I was actually trying to create my sort of, um, uh, kind of like an employed situation where I had regular, regular work. And uh, on top of that, I had my, my teaching for music services. I'm also a guitar teacher and I work for Camden and Enfield. And uh, yeah, lockdown wiped out all of this. So all of a sudden, it, it all stopped, obviously. So at the moment, my balance is basically just teaching online, still for music services, loads of uh, private teaching. But in terms of gigs, it's all stopped. Mm-hmm. So looking ahead, it's, it's, quite, it's quite tough because you know that there's no chance that you're going to get any confirmed booking for the next months. And uh, it makes you wonder, should I keep on trying contacting venues or not? So far, my choice has been just to, to step back, to be honest, because I also know that the venues that I used to work with, they don't simply they don't have the money. Most of the small venues where I was playing, they're just, you know, they're struggling with, with income. They don't have profit. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's the main issue for us at the moment. That, that's a really big thing because that's the first thing I thought uh, was, okay, let's try and get some gigs going. But then I was like, well, look, the venues that we were going to play at have been, you know, they've had it bad too. They haven't been able to earn any money. So they don't really have enough money to pay a band anyway. Yeah. You know, a lot of these venues. And um, it just seems bad because it, it, it seems to be kind of just a catastrophe now. But this is, you got to remember, on the back of what felt like sort of, in terms of musicians' wages, I would say, it seems like it was sort of steadily decreasing anyway. I mean, what do you think, Keith? Because, I mean, you talk about coming from a musical family. Your, your brother was playing in the 60s. Mm. I'm always hearing people from that generation say it was far easier for musicians to, to earn a decent living. Is, is that true? Is that the case? Well, I think, for, I think a couple of things have got to be put in place here. For many years, and if I go back bef- just before that, there's a little bit of history in this. Um, you know, the, in fact, actually, we did a timeline in uh, our, our magazine about this and sort of said, right, post-war, how did musicians mostly make their money? And the interesting thing, of course, if you go back to sort of George Melly kind of 50s era, but a pre, or pre-rock and roll uh, coming in, you've, you sort of made a recording to try and get gigs. You'd go into a studio, you know, some sort of studio if you could find one, you know, because let's face it, there weren't many. Do some sort of basic recording. It was like a little calling card. The idea that you were actually going to sell thousands of these things was it was just some sort of pipe dream. Mm. You might sell some to friends, but the idea mainly was to get gigs because that was where the work was. Right. Now, in a funny sort of way, we then went through this sort of the record company era, uh, you know, the classic record company era. You know, all of this is post-World War II, where we got to the stage where the Beatles and, you know, people came up and suddenly UK musicians were selling truckloads of records and I mean by that by LPs and singles, around the world. And, um, you know, bands went on tour in, say, the 70s, um, and it, they would make a loss playing live. Um, but the idea was they were promoting the album. And, of course, all the money had come in from the sales of the album. Well, rather bizarrely, we've almost gone round this great big circle over the space of about 70 yeah. years and gone back to the stage where people do a gig and make the money from selling merchandise, including their own recordings. So yeah. rather than, you know, we'll come on to streaming and Spotify and all that at some point. But, you know, the, the, the issue, funnily enough, that people sort of say, ah, we've got to make the money playing live. And you kind of think, well, this is a bit bizarre. We've gone back to about 1953. And I, that's exactly what has happened. But, of course, there are people doing speculative music. And then there are people playing music as a service. 
So mm, uh, yeah. be involved in this. If you play in a restaurant and you the, and the owner proprietor says, look, can you do two 45 minutes? Please, can you focus on the music of? And it'd be really great if you're able to play some, you know, this stuff in the last half an hour and you're pro providing a service and you should get paid, you know, properly in the same way as you would at say a wedding band or somewhere where you're definitely hired to do a, a job. Now, that's a little bit different to people going out saying, uh, which is what I was referring to earlier, really, in a way, people going out doing their own original music. Uh, they're in control of what it is and subject to, you know, their own management record companies demanding it. And uh, it may not sell or it may not, but they're, they're doing art to some extent. They're, they're moving the culture on, not just saying, what is it you want? Robbie Williams, yeah, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. Robbie Williams, everybody, you know, play Robbie yeah. Williams. So there's differences there. You know, it's not one, it, it, you know, people talk about money and music, but it depends what line you're in. If you're in a theatre band or an orchestra or a function band, or a, a, a solo artist going out playing your own stuff. They're all in different circumstances. Yeah, yeah it, there's no bloody live work. That's all. That's what's happened to all of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's a very good point. I've often thought of. Um, I almost sort of refer to them as like working class musicians, musicians that are just picking up odd jobs here and there. You know, forty quid here, fifty quid there, and then maybe a bit more for a wedding or whatever. Now, here's a question. Because um, you're right, a lot of musicians now live music is where it's at, and especially if you're the guys doing the restaurant work and the wedding work now that's been on hold for a year now basically and we're all desperate for it to come back because it's for many of us that's our job is this going to come back in a recognizable form to how it was before is it going to change massively is it going to be because i mean a lot of the places the restaurants and the pubs that we were playing a lot of them have closed down now uh, and there's probably going to be more close down well, still. If I can come in very quickly, I'm sorry. Please, please. Too much of this. I think the first thing to say is that uh, there's two needs. One, there has to be the uh, opportunity for the musicians to play in the first place. Now, that comes about um, through there being, you're absolutely right about venues, and people like Music Venue Trust are doing great work trying to save. So in fact, actually, they've announced they've saved 13 venues, I think, in the last 24 hours, wow. all of which are about to close. So th these very important grassroots clubs that people come up through. So, uh, you know, there are places already established which people wish to keep open. Then I'm a great believer that, you know, there's no shortage of people want to make music. And there's no, we know there's no shortage of people want to listen. 100%. To it. Yeah, 100%. So the, 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 the people will provide the channel for that to happen. So I am a great believer in entrepreneurial spirit and people sort of saying, right, okay, wouldn't it be brilliant if we had a, a, a jazz club with people playing jazz guitar one night a week and maybe doing some sax or something another night a week in Bromley? You know, somebody goes out and makes it happen because the law now allows them to do that. It's not so much red tape about setting up uh, a music premises as there were, you know, or a venue putting music on or, or premises putting music on. Now, um, we know that that's part one which is somewhere to play. Part two is when will the audience be comfortable going out and sitting alongside strangers? Because that's the second thing to this. You may, we may get to the stage where, example, Andrew is playing, where you've got a really nice place, hold 150, people come in, sit at tables, eat and drink, and it's a lovely environment. And you know that 150 people will fill it and come and see you play. Will or will they? Well, it gets to the stage where saying, well, actually, I'm not quite yet ready to be squashed in a, you know, basement bar somewhere. Mm. And that's got to happen. Now, either people have got to be vaccinated and happy with, you know, comfortable with that, or just gradually get used to being in a crowd again. Because, you know, the minute we step out of the restaurant kind of thinking and we start getting into a, you know, jazz basement somewhere, you know, where it's all a bit hot and sweaty and people are going, well, I'm not so sure I'm ready for that. So there's, cor it, there's coronavirus dripping off the ceiling in those places. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> well, what an idea, right? Eh? So I, <laughs> I do think um, it sounds like some sort of album title, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think the, the, my point with this is that the, the, everybody's got to be comfortable with it and that might take some time. But mm. driving all of this, People are absolutely bloody desperate to get out and go to an event, go to a football ground, go to a club, see a band, you know, just go and do all so, the so, wonderful so, things we did for years, you know. So, you know, oh, sorry. Well, just, just dead quick, I'll come on to you, Andrew. So, Keith, yeah. you're thinking, um, you know, people are definitely willing, and where there's a will, there's a way, and oh, there'll be yeah. plenty of people who want to do it. Andrea, what do you think about this? 
Yeah, I was about to mention, uh, we actually played a gig. It was a small gig. It was uh, one of these restaurants, uh, working, working musician stuff. And uh, it was in the middle of the two lockdowns. So things weren't too, too good at all. And um, it's a small restaurant. We, we love it. We play there quite often. And, uh, and people just, they came down and the place was packed and crowded. So I think in terms of willingness of the, of the potential audience to come back shoulder to shoulder with strangers, is there. It's 100%. There. I think, I don't have any doubt that actually, in yeah. a funny sort of way, people are suddenly going, do you know what? I didn't go to that many gigs, but I'm bloody going to go now. Exactly. I'm, you know, Jesus, there's a bloke playing down the road. Come and, on. And okay. here's, here's, here's the clincher, though. Where there's a will, there's a way. Is there enough will to be able to sustain people's livings and livelihoods that they had playing music before that's that's the bit that i'm mm, well look yeah this is a whole different topic i think the future i have faith that the future will will be all right but it's going to take a while Mm. yes we may lose some musicians in the meantime that's a great worry we've got some world-class musicians and will they still be able to go out and play because they've taken up a job with sainsbury's you know that uh, other supermarkets are available and and, (laughs) you know (laughs) Jobs in other supermarkets are probably, well, maybe they're not available, I don't know. But the point being that, you know, these people aren't match fit then. If you go a year and a half and you haven't played at a sort of top level, one, you've lost your match fitness, Mm. you know, one level, and two, you haven't got that momentum of gig, you know, I mean, you'll know what it's like. You go, you do a gig, somebody recommends you to somebody else, you get paid for the, the gig you've just done, you then start booking in your other work for three weeks' time, you know, somebody, you know, you meet somebody else who recommends something, your network and your contacts and doing a gig leads to another gig. Somebody in a restaurant goes, you are great. Can you come and play my party? And it all rolls on. It takes it time, this on. kind of it's stuff. Doesn't it? Exactly. You know, it in- a long time. It takes a very long time. I remember to get to the stage where we were playing at the end of the day, just three nights a week. Uh, it took me, I don't know, years. So it's been years in the making of creating that network that yeah, you mentioned. And it was, a, it was a network that was uh, building up on a weekly basis because of people dropping down the club or the restaurants or someone was recommending us for, for a wedding. I think all of this also relates to the one main issue that personally I, found, I find in being a musician, which is what, what really is uh, your identity as a musician? Because yeah. already now we mentioned working musicians that, who play at functions and weddings and restaurants, then you have artists that play their own music mm. then you have the top level of i don't know jazz players they play in a certain secrets of international mm. clubs so all of this from my perspective adds on to the dif- difficulties of coming out of this um coronavirus situation mm. like there's, there's so many different venues that would need some um, help to get back again and provide space and uh, and, a, and a decent fee for musicians as well and, and, and this is the thing as well. It's not, if you think about most working musicians, and this is very much kind of yeah. what we're looking at, most musicians have like several different kind of income streams. So they'll be gigging. Yeah. Most of us are teaching. And then some of us are doing bits of recording and stuff. Now the gigging, that was gone. The yeah. teaching, that was gone for a while and it's come back in a kind of weird online form. You, you do a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, are you fully online? Because you were going into schools and then you had private stuff. Are you completely online now? Right now, it's completely online. Really? And that's... So right now, the primary schools are closed, and so it's everything happening online, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it seemed, it, it'd be bad enough if one of those revenue streams went, but to have, like, all three gone for such a long time, and phew, that's yeah. heavy. That's heavy. Yeah. Well, this is where the government support comes in. We know, you know, because, uh, bless the government, it's meant well with some of their schemes, you know, the SEIS, self-employed, plus the uh, furlough scheme. Um, plus the Cultural Recovery Fund it announced a little while back of 1.57 billion, which a lot of which has gone to infrastructure, but it's not finding its way to musicians. And we know that a third of musicians, at least something like 40% in reality, w- didn't benefit from any of the schemes. They didn't qualify for some Wow, reason. yeah. Now, yeah. if you've got a year, I mean, look, you know how bloody hard it is as a musician. It's a precarious industry at the best of time trying to make your living. And it relies on this ongoing, you know, sort of circuit of, you know, contacts, you know, out there promoting yourself, getting a gig, making, you know, really driving the same as a lot of people do in entertainment, you know, actors, etc. you know, looking for the next piece of work. And, you know, the bottom line of all this is that how the hell do you pay, you know, your way? I mean, they say, don't they, that, um, 
you know, you're only three months away from being chucked out of your house, you know, in terms of if you don't get any money for three months, suddenly you're thinking, Christ, I haven't paid the mortgage, I haven't paid the rent. You know, it's not long. And here we are, 10 months in. And I've, yeah. I'll be very honest, I've been absolutely amazed by how many people have managed to make, keep going somehow. Now, I know musicians are an innovative, you know, creative bunch and have probably called on, you know, like you say, uh, you know, some other help. But, uh, you know, we've been fighting for this because there is no doubt the places like Germany have done a far better job of supporting their artists than we have. And far too many people have fallen down the cracks. And, it, and we're worried for them because, you know, it, it, whatever music they're playing or wherever they are, or however good they are, if they haven't got a bloody income, and especially if they're committed to quite, you know, they've been good and they've got a reasonable mortgage and things, you're kind of going, Christ, how are they supposed yeah. to pay them? Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Well, lads, there's a lot there and we haven't even talked about Brexit yet. But before we get into all that, um, let's, <laughs> Ooh, <boy. laughs> let's, um, let's put on a tune. Let's line it up. Uh, Andrea, I asked you what tune you want to listen to. What, what did you want to put on, mate? Oh, you uh, gave me options. But I yes. really like that, that Noage one. Tell us a bit about that Noage one. Yeah, it's an, uh, an electric recording of Django Nuage, I think 90, it was one of the last recordings he made and it's just, um, it's just refreshing to hear him playing it on, um, on an electric guitar instead of the classic acoustic version. Yeah, it was about three months before he died, I think. That whole, yeah, exactly. that last sort of session, it's like a really good little album. Um, yes. It's brilliant, it's really good. So let's, uh, let's have a listen, here we go. Django there that always puts a smile on the face kind of makes nice. everything seem a bit less shit so um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So we've talked a lot about working musicians. We've talked a lot about people who had already put together a bit of a career and an income, people who were paying mortgages and stuff. But, you know, there's a lot of people who are just starting out. I mean, like, obviously there's young kids who have just started forking out X amount of money to go to university and now they've got an online course instead of an actual course. And there are musicians who were, who were, you know, had all these plans and they can't really go ahead. Do you think that that generation of musicians, Keith, I mean, are they going to be, you know, how different is it going to be this COVID thing? Because for me, it, it feels like it's going to be two different generations that are going to view the world in very, very different ways. How do you think this post-COVID musician is going to sort of see the music industry? Is it even going to be something they're going to want to be getting involved well, with or yeah i do i think um you know i i echo this i have massive sympathy probably the most sympathy for people who are just trying to start out had plans about launches and you know maybe just got a uh, you know cd they were going to put out or they're putting stuff on youtube they're putting stuff on you know streaming services and then they're going to go out and do this promo and then now they come and it, and you know and especially if you've forked out for recordings you forked out for pr you've forked out for promo stuff, websites, photography, the whole shebang, mastering. And then you're sitting there going, yeah, great, we're ground to a halt. Now, firstly, I like to think that, yes, we're on hold, but we'll be back, you know, and sort of say, look, don't give up on your dreams, don't give up on your hopes. Your music is still key. It'll still be a wonderful thing in your life. Mm. Yes, it might be difficult from a money perspective. If I can, if I can bring one item in, which is, the one thing this last year has highlighted is how little money musicians make if they're not playing live or teaching. Mm. All other aspects were mostly streaming, where 85% of that figure again, of where music is uh, consumed now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's no money in it. You get 0.003 of a P, et cetera. Now there is a government inquiry into the future of economics of streaming um, going on right now. And in fact, the next hearing, I think might be tomorrow with the small oh, labels wow. so you can watch it on Parliament TV. Now, our general secretary is contributing on the 10th, talking about how hard it's hit musicians. But the one thing that we know, people are saying, ah, oh, can't play live, I'll get some royalties. Well, that's true whether you're just starting out, whether you've been going for years. No, you won't, because there's very little money to be made from it. Now that, something needs to be done about that, because it, the artists are not getting their dues, and to use a, a phrase. And I like to think, Musicians will not give up hope. I think a lot of people are writing, a lot of people are composing, a lot of people are probably recording at home or recording remotely with someone and saying, all right, I can't play live, but I'm going to be bloody ready when we are able to mm, do it. Yeah, yeah. If they're able to keep their body and soul together, because there are a lot of mental health issues about, uh, um, you know, being pushed back, down, struggling with finances, maybe relationships. You know, and being stuck indoors. It's not, you know, there's a lot of mental health issues for musicians. Mm. And of course, everybody. So, you know, I like to think we'll come out of it, but nobody's pretending it's easy. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And, you know, mm. it wasn't a, a particularly easy gig to begin with. Um, yeah. Here's a question. Um, because it seems like every avenue that musicians were earning money with is kind of closing due to either, you know, government restrictions with lockdowns, or it could just be things like streaming got invented and now, uh, people won't pay any money for for physical media. Um, is there any avenues that are opening up? Because one thing I've noticed is that a lot of the guitar players in Gypsy Jazz, they started doing these online Zoom lesson things, and it would be um, one guy teaching, and then they pay everyone chucks in a fiver, and you could have two people listening or a hundred people listening. And of course, the established guys. Uh, I mean, Robin Nolan does a really, really good one. Uh, and then there's maybe like 30 people on, on each of those every week. And it's kind of teaching, it's kind of like paying for a gig, but I mean, it's a teaching thing, you know, but instead of relying on the people who live in your local town in the provinces somewhere to come to your gig, you've got a global audience online and you only need one person, you know, per country to come along. And then you've got like a decent audience. So, you know, are there avenues opening up for musicians to kind of do their art and art slash livelihood in a different way to the way you used to do it in the past? I've got one very quick answer to that, which is there is no doubt that people are putting together ways of promoting themselves and putting themselves across online. The Americana Awards was last uh, week. Now, that featured people like Robert Vincent. It's more country folk 
um, bit of blues, bit of soul, bit of gospel than it sure. is jazz. But it was an event featuring an awards ceremony and conferences and seminars and loads and loads of little fringe gigs. And people could do pre-records in Nashville and make it part of the, the presentation. And also they had people coming in from America and Canada and Australia to watch what it was. Now, it was about a thousand people, but I said a thousand people. It's a big were, gig, yeah. Checking in on some really good acoustic musicians. And the main event is normally in Hackney. <laughs> it's been running for five years. It's normally in Hackney. But the point being is that people sort of said, this is great. I can see a whole load. I don't have to run around fringe venues in Hackney. Mm. You know, I can see an act perform for 15 minutes online and then immediately see another act perform for 15 minutes online on a couple of stages, if you like, and choose what I wanted to see. And I haven't even had to run around in the rain. You know, so I think people said there's the best of both worlds here. You could benefit from online presentations and at the same time also appreciate a gig when it's, a, you know, when you're there, you know. So. Yeah, it just, it just makes you think... Yeah, Andrea, Karen, sorry. Yeah, I still don't I know the etiquette of this Zoom <laughs> conversation, but um, <laughs> I'm just used to be the teacher, and usually they listen to me on the other side. Of the screen, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to teachers. I'm Italian, so we talk over each other, so that's the worst. But um, <laughs> I would say, I just want to say that, yes, that I, I, I found many positives in this new um, COVID era. So, um, all the online world has been quite um, like a, uh, a new horizon to discover. I mean, in my case, possibly it was something that I should have done before, getting more into online promotion, social media, and, um, and that kind of things. And, and I found that, this, that the best side of this was this potential of connecting with people from, as we said, from all over the world, uh, running the small masterclass workshop, uh, getting students, uh, learning new skills. Uh, in my case, I, I run like a short series of quarantine sessions videos where I was just um, getting collaborations from different musicians and I was wrapping up everything together and then I was uh, releasing this, these videos. And that's good. There's a lot of positive there. Mm. And there's a lot of things to learn. And it's things that they, they kind of, they, they were parts of being a musician from before the COVID. At the same time, though, I think that it's, the problem is that at the end of the day, all of this is, is marketing and business. So while big artists, big names or, or big players, they can easily gather, I don't know, thousand people or yeah. even just 20 paying students for an online workshop, then for the rest of musicians, it's not that easy. Also, it's, it's, it's a matter of markets and, you know, there's a lot of offer on the market now and uh, the quality is, is kind of diluted. So it's, it, it's difficult to to earn something out of online activities in general, I, I would say, unless you're a big name. This is the thing you see, because a musician, yeah. it seems to me in the past, the musician's main skill set was their playing of music. Whereas now it seems yeah. like if you want to be a musician, you have to be an online publisher. You've got to know Photoshop, you've got to make posters, you've got to be really good with social media, you've got to be able to make music videos, you've got to be able to make websites. It seems like you have to have every skill set, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I can come in on that. I, I've, you know, done enough seminars in my time and, and, and sat, in, sat inside the Bedford in Ballam, you know, with 120 musicians and various people on a panel and said, look, you picked up a guitar, which I did in 1973, and tried playing Slade, which was rather, you know. Tremendous. <laughs> anyway, and uh, my friends Dead quick, a little bit of trivia. Noddy Holder's son is called Django. After Django Reinhardt. Oh, class. There you class. go. Well, so there you have it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Carry fact. on. It's all right. It's brilliant. But uh, thank you for that. I love, I love a strange fact. But the, um, you know, the bottom line of this is I, I have always said to people, you picked up the guitar because you didn't want to be a computer nerd or somebody who was in marketing necessarily. And, um, it, you know, any of that business where you think, oh, God, I haven't updated my Twitter feed and I haven't gone on Instagram and I've got to take a photograph of this and I've got to, you know, I've got to have some sort of view on the latest news or something. And I'm going, get somebody else to do it. Now, obviously, it's difficult if you're asking people to do something for very little money or free, but it is a team job being a musician. Mm. And actually, most mm. artists will carry on with a team. It's only a matter of scale. If you're, if you're somebody with a website and you're putting releases out, you've got stuff on streaming services, maybe something on YouTube, and you're playing some gigs, this is exactly the same thing as Coldplay are doing. You know, it's just a question of scale. But 
they will have somebody handling the media, somebody updating the website, maybe somebody doing social media, somebody doing merchandise or something. You know, you, you're a photographer, you know, sound engineer. It's a team job. Find your role within that yeah, team. I mean, it's, it's maybe easier said than done. I mean, Andrea, you're a bit of a whiz with social media for sure. Um, but like, you know, if you've not really got any money, it's a bit like asking people, well, can you just do me a favor? And it's a bit like, yeah. you know, I don't really, well, a lot of musicians don't being, don't like being asked to do a favor for somebody to play music as well. We're all trying no, to get no, money I, out of I, this, I, you know? Yeah, no, this, this is my point is that if, you know, look, hey, look, I'm, I'm a union official. I'm the first person to say you've got to pay your way and, uh, and earn your pay and don't give yourself away for nothing because that's the worst thing you can possibly do. Don't devalue your own art mm. and your own skill and experience, which is going to be considerable but, and, and valuable. But uh, my point being is that if you're looking at it, thinking I've got to be the marketeer, just, you know, and I've got to do all the, wear all these hats. Yes, of course, a lot of bands do it. I mean, Lennon McCartney, one of their unknown skills right at the beginning was that they were very good at pushing their songs on other people. You know, that, uh, Helen Shapiro, would you believe, talked about being in a coach and being harassed by these two Liverpudlians saying, I'll oh, do one of our songs, do one of our songs. Oh, wow. And, yeah. You know, and made that part of their right that if we're not going to go out and perform these songs, let's get somebody else to bloody do them. You know, and, that, and it was part of their uh, of, uh, approach. So there is no doubt that the marketeer in yourself has to exist. Because you could write the greatest music known to man, but if all it doesn't go out of your bedroom, you're not going anywhere. But, you know, I do think the f first and foremost, it's about the music, it's about your, what you create, and that has to come first. And if things get in the way of that, then something needs to be worked so it's not so much in the way. Um, how you do that with very little money, I don't know. But you have to do, you do have to develop a team. No artist has ever gone anywhere without a few people around them handling some of this stuff because you won't have the time to do it anyway if you actually start really you know playing regularly etc um if you're able andrea to sort of do the social media and keep your web up stuff and maybe something on youtube do some teaching brilliant but that's at the moment you know the minute yeah. you're going, i want to go out and play live you know yeah <laughs> so yeah well, look, lads, we're, we're running out of time here. I'm going to put on a quick tune and then we'll be back for the last bit. Uh, I'm going to put on a tune now. Another bit of electric Django. Um, I've just been listening to it a lot recently. Topsy, here we go.
Nice one. I really like that tune. Um, I call it out a bit too often at jams, but it's just fairly um, forgivable, forgiving chords. You know, it's an easy one to get around, you know. Um, okay, Andrea, yeah. let me ask you this, because you moved to London, like, what, 10 years ago or something? Is that right? Oh, more, longer, uh, 12 years ago. 12 years ago, and very much came over oh. kind of with, with the intention of doing music. I think you started out doing more like indie rock, and then you kind of got into the gypsy as a bit later. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been a it's been a long and a, it hasn't been a straight kind of story. So I came here actually to work in an office, and uh, back then I was playing indie rock and alternative, and uh, I came here in London to work in shipping. So wow. back then I was uh, rock and roll. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, man. I was working <laughs> hard, you know, <laughs> nine to five, my tie, my suit, cool. and uh, but but I kept on playing. Yes, <laughs> living the dream. But here in London, I don't know, I just I couldn't find myself too comfortable with the whole office thing. You know, it was a, it was a new start, new country, the language and all of that. And, um, and, I, and I moved to a musician's house. It was, a, it was an amazing musician house. It was full of jazz musicians, big names. And, and I thought, well, I should give it a try. And then um, I just gave up my nine to five job. And um, I went full on for music and it, it's been a big bet because back then literally I couldn't follow a chord chart. I could play, but it was all up in the air. Um, when I was at university, I studied political science. So I went from political science to shipping to gypsy, uh, gypsy jazz. So <laughs> I can imagine my parents how yeah. happy it must be. But <laughs> We've all been well, there. Yeah. Oh, bloody well done, mate. Because I'll tell you what, I've, look, I've worked in offices. I sat there going, this is soulless and, and it's not for me. But this, how do you make a living out of the thing you love most? It's, that is an art all of its own. Yeah, yeah. It's been tough, but I'm really, really happy. Really happy. Oh, brilliant. That's a fantastic story. And also, I think the thing with this is making music and, you know, sharing music with other musicians, other performers, whether that's studio live, or it's just a wonderful thing to do. And, it and it's just absolutely brilliant. So just doing it is wonderful and it has its own journey you know you don't if, if you've, you've got an audience you have an audience of 100 and play to 100 people you're doing it you know it does bloody wembley you know Absolutely. Actually, quite often when i talk about music i say that from my perspective coming from an office environment music is not a job no. but it's, no. there's a lot of professionalism around music and uh, that's how i manage my way through music because i applied all my business skills into marketing emailing yeah. and you know just general um, people skills mm. and uh, and music itself it's just i just play guitar it's yeah <laughs> i don't see it as a job man it's a bit like uh, well going to your point keith about you know you don't have to sign out wembley stadium a good friend of mine back home eddie hutch he's a saxophone player in the village that i'm from he always said something very smart he said and funny enough i'm wearing the shirt he said you don't have to play for man united to play football yeah that's right i really uh, like that well, I do think at this point of actually the, 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 the little strata at the top who are actually, you know, the David Beckhams or the Paul McCartney's, there is a very thin strata of those. A lot of people, of course, are aiming up there. But actually, the reality is you've got tens of thousands of people playing music or playing football on a sort of weekly basis in a park, you know, or, you know, with their mates or in quite a good club or maybe even a semi-pro level. You know, it, it, that's all doing it. And in fact, you know what? And people talk about grassroots, but there's something very real about that. You know, it, it, you're not stepping into some sort of artificial, you know, sort of world up there of almost celebrity, you mm. know. And, well, and just playing in a grassroots way is still a brilliant thing to do. Man, some of the best... Um, well, so it's actually something that the lockdown kind of taught me, actually, because obviously when the first lockdown came in, there was no gigs and we couldn't see each other for ages. And then eventually the restrictions eased a bit and we were allowed to meet up in parks and small groups. And so naturally, straight away, we were playing, me and Andrea were playing in Crystal Park and we're going to um, Central St. Martins and stuff. And, you know, some of those jams for me were just as good as any gig that I've ever done, you know, yeah. just in terms of the music and the the camaraderie and everything, you know, and, you know, even if the kind of unfortunate circumstances of the world and COVID and just the universe, you know, is cutting off all those avenues, you know, you can still find your own corner and you can still 
just have the best time, you know? Well, I've done, I've done this. One of the things I've done in COVID was I've sat there and thought, I ought to do, you know, look, I'm 62 this month. I ought to do, you know, have a little record of everybody I'd seen or played or been alongside or festivals I've worked at or attended. And of course, I saw my first band in 1968 when I was nine at the BBC. So I who, thought, who was oh, that? Who was that? Dave Dean, Mick and Titch oh. <laughs> in a BBC studio. And I was, I was just nine because my godmother worked at the BBC. So I used to get tickets to sort of shows they were recording like Crackerjack or something. And they'd have bands on. And, and that was my first actual live exposure that I remember. And but the, the point for sort of mentioning this is that I just thought, I ought to try and make a list of the ones I could think of that I'd seen and things I'd been at, like Live Aid and all that kind of stuff. And I did this and I came up with about 340 without looking anything up, you know, like over a period of about a week. And then I'd suddenly think, oh yeah, there was them. I'd forgotten about them. Yeah. You know, write down. Now I've made it, I had it designed into a poster, which I'm going to stick up in here. And oh, nice. The reason for doing it is just to say it's 50 years or so of wonderful live music. I, I, it, it's just a nice little reminder. And I think, bloody hell, look at all those great things, you know, and you're absolutely right. The reason for mentioning it is some of the great gigs are at the Troubadour or Bungie's or some little venue. I mean, Jeff Buckley played Bungie's and the place only held about 40 people. Mm. I don't actually forget 40, it was more like about 25, you know, but that is a wonderful memory for the people who are there. You know, those little gigs, you know, are just absolutely right. They can be just as electric and, and, and heartwarming and everything you know as any big gig which yeah. are also great do you know what it doesn't regardless of what's going on in the world outside if you can get together with your pals and play for your tunes you can make your own little bit of a wonderful Brilliant. world right there yeah. guys we're pretty much running out of time but just before we go i want to ask a little plug from the both yeah andrea just tell us a bit about what you got going on you've got your lick thing going on every day uh what's happening with you plug away oh. I'm always I'm always online. You you can find me on my Instagram, Andrea Vergani Music, where I keep on going, posting my practice and leaks. And um, there's also my webpage where I collect where we can we okay, I gather all my links on YouTube. And uh, yeah, anybody can just drop me a message and uh, be happy to get back to anybody. Good man, good man. Uh, Keith, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to throw out? Yeah, there? yeah, I'll hold them. Um... Thank you very much. Well, firstly, uh, if you're trying to make a career as a musician, um, even at the moment, and you're looking to sort of, you know, further your career at whatever stage you're at, the MU are bound to be able to help you. Um, it's very hard to survive, especially over the years, without calling on support for something. Um, so uh, you can visit the MU.org. Uh, and if you haven't been a member for five years or you haven't been a member before, we're doing a special offer of join for a pound for the first six months. So that is a fantastic offer. So please, people, take advantage of it while it's going. Um, and uh, if anybody wants to see my personal sort of blog, which um, I've got various addresses for it, keithames.uk or birdcage.co.uk will take you to it. Uh, it's just my little diary of things that are going on in the industry. If anybody wants to see, it's, I've, I've got to do the write-ups for January. I'm up to date to Christmas. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's about 640 posts on there, so that will keep you going. Um, and, you know, that's a little background as to what I do. And people are very welcome to visit and contact me through that as well, um, if not through the MU. Excellent. Uh, lads, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you both on. Love to talk to you both. Thanks. Best of luck with the rest of the lockdown and the rest of everything. And you know what? We got all the way through. We didn't even top up Brexit. Yes. Yeah. All right, lads, here's, <laughs> a, a bit of, here's a bit of Django Reinhardt. This is anniversary song. Have a good one. Cheers to our bye-bye. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you.